Ah, oh, Wonderland. You know, Christmas is a time of wonder. It's a time of reflection. It's a time that I think raises a lot of questions in our life. And I hope it's a time of introspection in your life. And we've been asking a lot of questions, uh, wondering, like, when, when did we lose the wonder of Christmas? You know, because it's so easy for Christmas to get reduced to a flurry of activities that it has very little to do with the reason for the season. And I know that's kind of cliche, but it's true. We get so consumed with things, and we end up Christmas being a time that we're just frustrated. We're, we're worn out. Uh, I believe many times Christmas leaves us kind of wanting in our lives. And we talked about the fact that if we're going to recapture or capture the wonder of Christmas, that we need to realize who's in the manger. That when we look at the manger, I mean really look, we should find the creator of this universe. And I believe that when that happens, it changes everything. And last week we asked a key question, and that is, where is your focus this Christmas? Again, I believe Christmas time is a time that it's easy to get distracted in our lives. And please do not misunderstand me. There is nothing wrong with all the festivities, the, the decorating, the, the gift giving, you know, dinners and parties and all, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's fine. But when it causes you to lose your focus, when you end up focusing on the wrong things, I believe it's time to refocus and make our way, again, back to the manger, back to the manger. Today, what I wonder is, what was God thinking? I mean, the manger, to me, just seems so odd. You know, what do you, what do you think of when you hear the word manger? I, again, I don't think we fully grasp the idea of manger and the implications of the manger. Uh, again, I think part of the problem, and we, we hinted at this last week, is we tend to sanitize Christmas. You know, instead of Jesus being in a feeding trough, we pretty it up. We pretty it up. We, we make it a bit more glamorous. Uh, we, we make it more like Jesus is in a crib from uh, Babies or Us or something like that, you know. Cribs. I mean, I find that whole thing interesting. If you, if you were to think about a crib, what do you think about? I mean, we've got some new parents or soon-to-be parents here I guarantee you, when they hear the word crib, they think about a warm, cozy place, a safe place that they're going to place their baby in. They, in fact, they'll spend considerable time thinking about what kind of crib they're, they're going to purchase. Uh, they, I, w- I was talking to parents the other day, and I realized there is so much stuff now. You know, there, there are baby consultants that, that help you with getting prepared for, for your baby. There are websites uh, that are dedicated to preparing for, for this child that help parents uh, kind of uh, design the perfect nursery, if you will. You know, and usually what happens is parents uh, establish a theme 
for, for their nursery, like ABC, one, two, three, butterfly kisses. Uh, uh, one of the most popular ones this year is a Zen motif. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's popular. But after they decide the theme, I believe probably the crib gets the most consideration, and we kind of build uh, around that, because it's the piece of furniture that gets used the most. You know, it's where they're going to put their newfound bundle of joy, and they're going to spend a lot of time in there. One of the websites I found it interesting calls the whole process pimping my crib, you know. You say the word crib to someone that's maybe in their 20s, and they'll tell you that's where they live in, in their life. Uh, early jazz musicians used the term to refer to their home. Didn't really catch on, but then MTV come along, and they designed a reality show, and they called it Cribs. And so each week what they would do is they would visit different cribs of, of different stars, and they'd... These stars would take you on, on a trip to see, you know, and tour their, their home. And uh, that's decent reality TV, you know, in, in the sense that I personally think that comes closer to reality because you've got the star giving you a tour of their home, telling you what their dislikes and likes are and why they did this or that. I think it's better than, like... Uh, Big Brother and The Bachelor, that honestly, you watch that, and it appears to be unreality to me. Uh, it's very staged and orchestrated. So you got these celebrities. They take you on a tour. You know, people like uh, Carmelo Anthony. Uh, he's got a life-size, full-size theater in his home, and he's got a closet for his shoes that looks more like a footlocker store. I mean, it's crazy. You know, Dale Earnhardt, I watched, I did watch uh, the, the whole thing with him. It was very curious. He takes you on a tour of his home called Whiskey River, which should give you a clue what's to come. And um, the first thing he shows you is his living room. He's got this huge painting of his dog named Killer. He takes you into his dining room. It's a poker table that he says can be converted into a dining table, which he's never eaten at. And it's off the chart when you go around his property. He's got a full-size replica gas station that's out of the 50s and this huge go-kart track. And then you think, okay, this can't get any weirder. He goes, let me show you this. And he takes you to the back of his property, and he has a full life-size recreated town from like the 1800s. It's got a saloon and a motel and a church and a jail and all this stuff. And when you get done, you go, well, that's quite a crib, you know. But MTV made it big. And then, like television does today, they were like, well, this is so good. Why don't we do teen cribs? And so they introduced that this year. And... The focus was to look at homes of teens that are just off the chain. They're, they're, they're incredible homes. I'm not convinced they were teenagers, though, because, like, the rooms were clean and stuff like that. So, Well, today I want to take us further back, and I want to focus on a baby crib. 
And I want to give you a tour of a crib that ultimately becomes the home of God. You know, it's a crib that we talk about every Christmas. But I don't think we really see it. You know, to think that the God who created this universe could have had a palatial palace, but chooses instead to find his way in a manger. The reality of that, that that first Christmas, I, I don't think we really see it. You know, Christmas has become so unrealistic you know, commercialized and contrived. The the fact is, I think it's hard to peel everything back and to just see the crib. You know, we... I don't know about you, but I find myself, as I read the Christmas story, I want to go back in time. You know, I want to know what it was like to have been there that first Christmas. I, I wonder... If I had been there, you know, what it would have been like. I mean, would I have made the journey to just take a peek, take a look? You know, I wonder, wonder if I had lived in Bethlehem. I wonder if I would have even walked across the street. I mean, and, and if I had... I wonder if I would have been in awe or if I would have been disappointed and walked away going, what was that? Friends, when we let our imagination take it in, I mean, really take it in, I find myself thinking, what was God thinking? What was God thinking? I mean, Christmas, I think we get crib conscious. I I think we begin to to zero in on the manger. And the fact is that that it's hard. It's hard not to because I believe it kind of confronts us in our lives. That it shows us who we are. It shows us where we're going. What what this season's about. What our life's about. And I know that for some of you, I mean this Christmas you're dealing with a lot of loneliness. I mean, this may be your first Christmas without a loved one. And it it just hits you. I know for some of you, this Christmas is going to be tough because you feel a little disenfranchised, a little disillusioned with, with life. And if we were all honest, at Christmas time, all those what we call negative feelings they kind of get magnified, don't they? I mean, and, and Christmas also is a time that I, I believe we begin to think about people's needs in, in the world, you know, the hurting people in this world, the hungry people. And, and we tend to become aware of that, or at least concerned. I mean, we might not do anything, but we, we at least are concerned. Christmas tends to multiply things, doesn't it? I mean, if you're having marital struggles, it gets amplified. If you're having parental struggles, it gets amplified. I mean, you name it, things get amplified. And I wonder, I mean, I wonder 
if, in fact, that's not part of the design. You know, a God-given design. So that as we enter the Christmas season, as we're confronted with, with the manger, with that crib, that we realize, we realize we're broken. We realize that we're wanting in our lives. That we are confronted with a reality that things just aren't right. I mean, I mean, I wonder if that's why the crib just doesn't seem right. It's not what you would expect, is it? Again, I think one of the problems here is that when we think of the manger, we take uh, Mary, Jesus, Joseph, and we put them in this pristine environment. I mean, it's a pristine crib. It's amazing... uh, kind of a stable nursery. It's got an animal theme. Angel accents included. And friends, maybe that's what you imagine. But that is not the type of manger that Jesus was in. I think the Christmas carol, uh, it says, away in a manger, no crib, what? For a bed. No crib for a bed. You see, we try and make it into a crib. You know, something something that's that's nice. And the fact is, in biblical times, it was an ordinary piece of farm furniture. It was rugged, it was dirty, and it was hollowed out so they could throw grain in it and hay in it. It was a feeding trough. It's where the animals pigged out. You know, when I was a a kid, uh, I'd go to my grandparents. They lived on a farm, and uh, I got the privilege of feeding animals. That's what my grandpa called it, I think, because he knew it would motivate me. Oh, I want to do that, you know. And so we would get up earlier than I thought was humanly possible, (laughs) and we'd go out and feed the animals. And usually we would first head out and we'd feed the chickens and I'd throw grain around and the chickens would start stirring a little bit. And then we would go over and feed the cattle and we would dump grain or we would dump feed and some hay into the trough. And then we'd go back to the house and get the slop buckets. All I can say is yuck, nasty. It was just awful. But we would take all the the leftovers from the food the day before and the scraps and the garbage and all that, and we would go out and we would feed the pigs. And then we would come in and Grandma would have breakfast and I would sit there for a long time and kind of let my stomach settle and, and all that before I could even eat. I mean, it was just, it was awful. And I can tell you that when we get this image in our mind. It's, very, it's something else because that was an awful place. I mean, I can remember the summers. We stayed away from where we fed the hogs because it was nasty. I mean, it smelled and food was spoiled and there, it was just, it was awful. But that's not what we picture, is it? 
You know, like, if you come over to my house and uh, you wanted to see my granddaughter, and she's still in a crib, her name's Naya, and so if you came over and said, oh, I want to see her, I'd say, oh, great, come on. And so I take you in the backyard, and I open up the shed. <laughs> You're with me? <laughs> and I reach down in the trough, and I get her out, and I go, isn't she something? You'd be like, is that where she sleeps? Is, is that her crib? I'm like, sure, it's one of a kind. It's been in the family for years. My family used to slop hogs in this. Isn't it great? Now, first of all, I'd probably make the front page of the paper, at least in Alton. <laughs> and I think somehow in our minds, we think that back then, oh, that was acceptable back then. Really? It wasn't acceptable back then. I, I think that's why Luke spends a lot of time explaining the extenuating circumstances. Luke 2, he says, And she brought forth her firstborn and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because what? There's no room in the end for him. I mean, we have a lot in, in common, I, I think, with the crib. The fact is, you're plain, I'm plain, we're ordinary. Well, the fact is that because of our sin in our life, we're rough. And we find Jesus in the manger. The manger's kind of hollowed out, and, and so it's filled with salvation. And yet, what do we do? Man, we got hollow. And in our life, we've got this empty place in our life, and we look for something else to fill it up. You know, oh, if I, if I could just make this amount of money, you know, then, then it'd be nirvana. Then, then I'd be satisfied and full. You know, just one more deal, one more acquisition, one more fun fix, you know, whatever. Just a little bit. It'll fill me up. This will do it. This will do it. This will fill the hollowness in my crib. Really? How many of you thought it would fill you up and you feel empty? You feel empty. The fact is that it leaves you wanting in your life. You're not satisfied. You know, in the midst of that hollowness of life, in that moment of introspection, I think the crib gets in our face. I mean, you may pretend that everything's great. You may have everybody fooled in your life. But inside, if you're honest, there's just this hollow. You, you know things are not right. It, it just pushes at you deep in your soul just empty. In fact, it's going to take something a lot bigger. You know, I find it interesting that Luke, Luke mentions the manger three times. He also mentions the, the swaddling clothes or the strips of, of clothes because he doesn't want us to miss the fact. He wants us to get an accurate picture that Jesus is wrapped up in these strips of cloth and he's laying in a manger. 
And we're going we're gonna to talk about some of that a little bit later. But it's interesting. The first people that make it to see Jesus in the manger are the shepherds. The shepherds. I mean, Luke wants us to know that it was shepherds. You know, these guys were the outcasts. These guys were people that nobody wanted to hang out with. They, they weren't even allowed in the temple because they were considered unclean. And I, I wonder, what was God thinking? Seriously, what was God thinking when he makes a birth announcement on a hillside to a group of shepherds? It says in that region there were shepherds living in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. A bunch of angels show up, shepherds, watching a still, quiet night, sipping Starbucks. Well, you, if you work night shift, you sip on Starbucks. And suddenly... You got angels. They were terrified, these guys were. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, try, try. it's hard to get our mind around that, but can you imagine all of a sudden? Scripture says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people to you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. Who's the Messiah, the Lord? This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. The angels say, watch for the signs. You will know that you found the right one. I mean, this baby will be born in Bethlehem, city of David. This baby also will be wrapped in cloth, swaddling clothes. And if you're still not sure you found the right baby, be in a manger. You will find the creator of this universe, salvation, in a hollowed out feeding trough. The manger, the manger is full of good news. Scripture says, And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he found favor. I mean, what do you use a crib for? It's a place to, to rest. You know, I believe when we open our lives, open our crib, to Jesus Christ. You find peace. You find peace. You, you begin to experience peace. In fact, I would argue that you cannot have peace in your life until you make peace with God. You know, the fact is, salvation, that first Christmas, when you look in the manger, it was a peace plan. The fact is that we had been at war with God. Some of you are at war today with God. The fact is that God is holy and we are not. You know, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. Christmas reminds me of that. It reminds me that I'm separated from God. And I know we, we go at war with God, but we're at war with God. And this is the hard part to grasp. 
God voluntarily left his throne in heaven. And he cries out from a crib. Feeding trough. Think about it. Ultimately, Jesus would crawl out of that crib. And he would live a a sinless life. And in the name of peace, he voluntarily would give himself up on a cross. In the name of peace, he would die. And they would wrap him in a very similar cloth. And when they put him in the crib, the tomb, that's where peace found its power. Because Jesus would walk out of that grave. Peace on earth was possible. It's a Christmas story. It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that's taken place which the Lord has made known to us. You know, it says, so they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and a child lying where? The manger See, we got, we got to remember the manger. I mean, what was God thinking? All creation's crying out for salvation, and salvation rests in a manger? I mean, when you zoom in, when you really look at the manger, friends, you find salvation. And make no mistake about it, Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke, when he wrote those words, He wanted us to see Jesus in a manger, in a feeding trough. He wanted us to get that. He wanted us to get the fact that this is where animals would eat. This is where they'd fuel up. This is where they found nourishment. This is where they were kept alive from a feeding trough. The crib of Jesus Christ. Later, Jesus would say this. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is born. Where was Jesus born? What city? Bethlehem. Bethlehem, it means house of bread. Jesus is born in a feeding trough. Later, Jesus would boldly proclaim, I am the bread of life. Friends, he offers people like you and me, sinners, outcasts, the bread of life, the bread of life. I mean, what are you eating in your life? Where are you looking for nourishment in your life? You know, back when I was in college, I was at Lincoln Christian College and lived in the dorm they called The Hole. Every night at 10.30, right after the news... And I'm dating myself here, but some of you are already going, oh, okay, MASH. <laughs> a group of guys would watch MASH. Every evening you could go out there and there'd be a group of guys watching this show. One of my best friends, uh, Sean, Sean, he, he, he always hung out there. I was usually heading to work uh, about 10, 30, 11, but once in a while I was off, and so I'd hang out with him. And one night, Sean had kind of hit the lottery. He had a whole case of hostess uh, pies. And so he's passing them around, sharing the wealth, and we always watch, don't ask me why, but we always watch MASH in the dark out in the, out in the, the uh, entrance area of the dorm. And so everybody's sitting around and 
we're munching and everything. And Sean's like, this coconut pie, it's like funky tasting, you know? And so finally he's like, he turns on the light. And this is no joke. There are maggots. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> they're, they're on his hand. They're uh, nasty. It was nasty. Now, for weeks, we'd be sitting in class, and, and Sean, Sean was a good friend, and being the good friend that I am, I'd lean over to him, and I'd go, Sean, Sean, coconut. <laughs> He'd be like, Ugh, you know. Friends, too many times we fill our crib with a lot of junk. We, I mean, we think. We think it's going to satisfy. We think it's, it's really something. We think it's going to fix us. And we're just munching away, and honestly, it's just maggot. Just maggots. Just eating garbage. Friends, you are missing the ultimate carbohydrate, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. That's what's in the manger. I mean, I wonder today, what are you, what are you feeding on? You know, what is it that you're putting your stock in? What is it that is the source of nutrition? What is it that fuels you up, that keeps you going? What is it, when everything else fails, what do you, what do you think is going to hold you up? Because in the crib, in the, in the hollow of the manger, in that feeding trough, you find the bread of life. And friends, I'll tell you, when you eat from the bread of life, it changes everything. I mean, you find meaning in your life. You find purpose in your life. You begin to find a focus for your life, and you find power, and you find that you can live with a clear conscience. And I've said this over and over again. Even if heaven was not a reality, and it is, but even if it wasn't, it would be worth being a Christ follower so that I could live life without guilt. Because this stuff's just so destructive. I mean, not only is our crib made for the bread of life, but it's also made for the Jesus that's wrapped in his swaddling clothes. You know, it's interesting. Uh, if you do a little bit of study about that day and time, the biblical times, travel, travel in that day was tough. In fact, what you find is that most people traveled with a shawl. And they would wear that. And you also found that most people died during travel. Because travel was very difficult in, in that day. And so I kind of envision you'd go to the travel agent and say, you know, I'd like to book a trip to Jericho or Bethlehem, wherever it was you wanted to go. And they go, well, this is the best deal we got. I'll take it. Great. If you'll just sign here and initial here, please. What am I initialing? Oh, it's the probably you'll die on this trip disclaimer. It's legal stuff. Don't worry about it. Okay. Okay. The shawls that they wore, 
they become known as a death shawl. And what would happen is, because people would die on these trips, wherever that happened to take place, they would wrap you in the shawl, dig a hole, and bury you right there. And many biblical scholars believe that the swaddling clothes that they used, that Mary used, to wrap Jesus in, was actually Mary's death shawl. You know, the, the point was that Jesus, God was pointing us to the fact that Jesus, this child, would die on a cross. And that one day he'd be wrapped in a very similar shawl, placed in a crib called a tomb. And there's something else that, that I found interesting as I was studying, and it has to do with the, the shepherds. I mean, many scholars believe that the shepherds were the temple shepherds for the temple in, in Jerusalem. I mean, these guys would have been on the outskirts of Jerusalem. These guys would have been responsible for taking care of the unblemished lambs the lambs that were used in sacrifice in the, in the Jewish temple. These lambs were, would be sacrificed for sin. And here's what I wonder. I wonder as these shepherds are making their way to the crib of Jesus Christ, as they're running or heading, it says with haste, that they, as they're heading to Bethlehem, I wonder if they didn't start connecting the dots. You know, we've been taking care. We've been taking care of the unblemished lambs that, that they sacrifice in the temple, that they, they cleanse sin with, and now we are going to see Jesus, the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, the one that will take away the sins of the world forever. I mean, no wonder. It says when they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about the child. That would have been quite a, quite a uh, story as they were telling about the angels and everything. But it says, And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The manger changed them. I, I would encourage you this Christmas, make your way to the manger. Get to the manger. You know, whatever it takes, take some time prior to Christmas. And remember the manger because the manger, the manger changes everything. And that's where you're going to find direction for your life. That's where you find meaning. And that's where you find your full potential, your God-given potential. It's in the manger. You know, you need to run as hard as you can and encounter the creator of this universe. Friends, it's the reason for the season. It's where you find salvation. It's where you find Emmanuel, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, the Savior of the world, in a manger, a crib, feeding trough. What's God thinking? Let's stand have a word of prayer. I'd invite you, uh, those that would like to share in the bread of life, we're going to celebrate in communion following uh, our song. Let's bow. Our holy God, God, we praise you. God, we thank you. Sometimes it's hard to get our minds around Christmas and It must have been some. God, I don't think anybody saw it happen in that way. But it was perfect. And God, I pray as uh, we prepare our hearts for this Christmas. And as we remember that crib, we just allow you into ours. God, transform us, change us. God, we praise you for all you've done. We praise you for who you are. God, I pray that we would stay focused on you. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.